Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everyone and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk Footnotes. And tonight, myself and our friend, uh, host, compatriot Chris O'Toole, uh, are both here to talk about not just the Matt Jackson episode, which we're going to get to at the end after some severe technical difficulties. That episode has been appeared late for some reason in the, in the iTunes feed, but we're also going to today be celebrating sort of the life of Anthony Bourdain and talking about music stuff and, and all sorts of things that have kind of come, uh, come up since posting or reposting that episode. But, uh, I guess before we get to any of that stuff, Chris, how are you doing, buddy? Good, man. How are you? Uh, it's been a, been a crazy week, you know, like a lot of weird stuff's happened. Oh, sorry. I just got to do a dab one second. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) Ooh, no, but it's been a crazy week. A lot of weird stuff in my life happened. And then, of course, you know, like the, I think the death of Anthony Bourdain will be forever one of those ones that just kind of seem to have an impact much larger than not that anyone's death doesn't have an impact somewhere. But like certainly his death has had a much larger impact than most even tragic deaths like this have had on not just myself, but, you know, a lot of people around me. Yeah, I would agree. I think um, I noticed it a lot more, like covered a lot more. It was covered in all various sources of media, of course, which one expects, but uh, as he was a pretty large public figure. But um, I noticed it more amongst like our peer group, you know, broadly termed, and a lot of people relating to it. I think if I were to have any, like my observation was just that I, I feel, and I kind of always have felt, like when people are successful out of this, Again, broadly termed, if we want to consider this as one thing, dare Mm -hmm. I say. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always a bit of a shock when someone does seem to find what appears at least to be on the outside the really the textbook definition of success, especially on their own terms. And so it's very strange when, you know, of course, we we don't know what demons people deal with in life and who knows. But um, so, yeah, I think that's what shocks people when that comes so suddenly and you realize like, well, this person got out, like this person made it. And, you know, that still, for whatever reason, wasn't enough at the end of the day. And I think that's what sort of shook people, including myself. So I think that's why it was a lot more relatable, I think, to people that wouldn't normally be commenting publicly on these sorts of things. Yeah, like, and, you know, not that you're like, 
not not that I am comparing deaths or anything like that, but like you know, certainly when people in music die who you know by their own hand who are or morose or or like you know have sung about these sorts of things, you know, like it's just he's a guy who's known for living life to the fullest. Yeah. You yeah, know, I agree. and getting joy all over the world and bringing joy to a lot of people too. Like, uh, you know, so to, to see someone like that give up on, or, you know, for whatever reason, like not judging him at all, but, but like, you know, faced with this sort of like, you, you know, need to surrender to, to, to death it's it's horribly tragic, you know, and it's something that I think just, as you say, resonates super hard, especially with people in our peer group who I think, uh, you know, g- grapple with this stuff. You know, the people that lived through the Kurt Cobain deaths and, and things like that and are now, you know, adults that are, you know, I don't know, like looked at him as someone who was like a uh, something aspirational, like a model of, you know, what you should be like as, you know, a person. I agree. I agree. I think it's, it's, you know, and to be frank again about this scenario, I think the reality is there's a lot of people that we know that do not make it. No. You know, and, no. and you know, this is a, not to get too cliche on any of this sort of topic, but, you know, this isn't, you know, it is accepted as a, you know, uh, you know a subculture now in, in sort of a, a certain degree, but it's still largely, you know, expression wise for like outsiders mm-hmm. you know that that's not you know that's not a mistake that's not an accident and you know a lot of the times these people don't you know and if if i were to include you and i in that i i feel very privileged so i don't i don't see myself in that way but you know there are people that don't have that privilege and don't get out and don't you know don't see it through so again when you see someone that does it feels like a win for the good guys so to speak and that's what's again that's what i think it for me anyway, that's how I can relate it. I, that really kind of took me because I thought, wow, like, you know, even just watching, I didn't really actively follow a lot of his uh, television work, to be honest, but I'd seen, of course, your interview uh, on there and the interview, of, of course, you did with him on the show, which is excellent. But, uh, you know, so I only saw limited um, exposure, but I was just always amazed at how, you know, unbelievably real the guy was. And how in tune he was too. That was the other thing. Like not not real as per like thirty years ago, and then nothing since. Like very much in tune, very much still enthusiastic. And that's you know that's the thing that really gets you. I think when you compare to present. Yeah, like he was definitely someone that you know, you know, engaged in in was someone that when you saw, you know, the guy that. I kind of dealt with off camera, off mic was the exact same guy that you'd see on camera or here on mic. You know, he was that guy like, and not that, not that like, you know, most people aren't, or that a lot of people aren't when they're, you know, celebrities. But I think even at a certain point, you just wind up, you know, having to put on a certain, like a bit of an on-screen personality versus an off-screen personality. And, I don't know. Every time I interacted with him, he was, you know, not to say that he was on like trying to entertain, but he was just that guy. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I didn't ever knew him, but I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And I think though, you know, to your point, I think it, it's, it's mildly understandable when you reach a certain degree of public notoriety or even just, you know, people knowing you, you and you yourself, Dame, you're more of a public figure, obviously than myself. But so, you know, you do deal with these things where, 
you know, you do need to be a little guarded <laughs> about mm-hmm. the way, especially if you, you know, you cherish your personal life and you don't want those worlds to collide or for whatever reason, you you know, it's not good for your family or whatever you want to say, you know, it would make, I, I, I excuse many people for that sort of stuff. It makes complete sense to me, but yeah, it's, it's, he definitely seemed to be, you know, the guy people knew on and off camera as is. And that's again, another reason why I think people liked him. I don't think there was any pretension. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it goes a long way. And again, it's just, he's also someone that championed a lot of other things all the time. And I think that's important. Yeah. Like he definitely, you know, like the stuff as far as, you know, his legit sort of recent advocacy group, sorry, advocacy work and, and, you know, political activism, I guess, you know, or, or social media, definitely vocal supportive uh, movements, you know, I think has been huge, you know, to have a, a, a guy, you know, back the Me Too movement and talk to people, you know, and, and, you know, when his friends get called out, call them out, you know, and, and just be like, no, this is what we got to do. You know, like, I think he was, I don't know, he was definitely a, a someone that you could look at as being a, an aspirational public figure, you know, not that anyone should ever be an aspirational public figure, but you know, like he was someone that, you know, championed that stuff. And then also at the same time, like championed like punk bands that he liked, like old obscure bands that he liked, you know, like he was that guy, like bought records at fucking hits and misses. <laughs> yep, exactly. You know, like, and I hung out and hits and misses, you know, like that's my favorite part of that episode that we're in is when there's like a whole section on a TV show that now will be watched forever by people, you know, like forever type thing there, you know, but in here he is talking about hits and misses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, obviously that hits, you know, right home for you and I, and of course yeah. you were, you were involved, but yeah. I mean, but I think again, that's not at a place he has that same, you know, uh, that same kind of experience with, you know, I'm sure hundreds or thousands of people in their yeah. own little, you know, intimate regional, you know, things that are, you know, it's just, you summarized everything very well. I, I, you know, he just seemed like a lovely guy. You know, I, you know, I obviously feel for his family and everybody, but I think it's just something that it's just very relatable. I think a lot of people that, you know, of course you're exposed to public figures for a variety of reasons. I think his was, it was a genuine interest from a lot of people. And when you're dealing with like opening up perspectives on the world, which I think in 2018 is, is exceedingly important given the way sort of things are just so unbelievably regressive or, or, you know, the idea of championing that kind of regression is, is in vogue, at least in like politics, so to speak. Uh, I think, you know, he was someone that stood out and really kind of was the complete opposite of that for all the right reasons. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Yeah. And, and once again, like, you know, someone that, that loved music, like beyond belief in something like, you got fucking Harley Flanagan to write music for his CNN TV show. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that sentence, even in 2018, that sentence still seems ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? That was, yeah. The interview, like, it's kind of funny seeing how that played out now because even when you interviewed him, I think that had just happened or was about to. I think it was before it had happened. Or maybe, yeah. Maybe he talks about Yeah, like it just happened or was just about to happen. Yeah. But even after that, I believe, was when – is it Harley interviewed him or he he interviewed Harley? He had Harley had, on the show. 
Yeah, but there was another thing that was it was specifically about like New York hardcore, I think, that they that he did a, a little segment on. But I can't remember if it was him interviewing Harley or vice versa or just basically both of them talking about it. But so he had like you know there was <laughs> it was a real you know this was not you know a put on. You know, this was someone who was really around yeah. and really knew people. It's yeah. So it's that's it's just tragic. It really is. Yeah. Well, like you know, like and I think that's the the thing is he. You know, like the stuff he liked was, you know, stuff that, you know, like someone that would have been there would have liked, you know, like his, his devotion to the Stooges. Yeah. You know, oh, the yeah. fact, and I still think his, his argument settler for the clash versus the sex pistols is the best one that's ever been on this show. Well, that was one you and I got to discussing or you brought it up and I had not listened. Like I'd listened to that interview when it first aired, uh, whatever, a few years ago now, I'm guessing. I yeah. can't remember. Yeah. So I couldn't remember every part of it and I didn't remember that for whatever reason. So having revisited it, um, I do like it. I don't, I, it's hard to argue his point, which is essentially for listeners who have not gone back and listened. Uh, it's essentially him saying that of the time the Sex Pistols were essentially the monkeys you know, of punk, so to speak. And that's why sort of there's more validity to the clash or what have you. But I think um, more what I agreed with him is that, you know, he, he admitted that nevermind the bollocks is the better yeah. single statement out of I the, agree. And, you know, and it, which is the thing that like, yeah, like were the clash more substantive than the sex pistols? A hundred percent. Like, are they more of an important band? A hundred percent. Is Nevermind the Bullocks the best record from that period? Maybe. Maybe it's the damned, but, you know, it's definitely better than the Clash stuff. <laughs> I, I agree with you sonically. I'm with you on all this. Yeah. But I don't pick a side. You're a side guy on this one. I don't. I, I love both. But, yeah. Um, well, that's, that's, that's what I, you know. No, but I love it. That's I love this debate. I really do. And I think it's an important debate amongst punk people actually to have because it does – it early on gives you a taste of their sensibilities. So mm -hmm. you might be able to gauge what path they're more likely to follow than another, so to speak. So if you're trying to hip somebody to other things that they might enjoy more or whatever, you, you might get a, a, a greater indication of where they're at. And I think it is important in that respect. I also think this, this debate's great, though, because I don't feel it ever ends. I feel like my perspective on both of these groups constantly is shifting. Yeah, it's con well, especially because certain members of certain groups can't keep their mouths shut in 2018. <laughs> well, and well, even even apart from the, that kind of noise, which yes, it factors in. It makes it I hard to enjoy them as much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the um, I just think those records, you know, I think any great, you know, broadly termed again piece of art really makes you have to reckon with it constantly. And and whether or not you prefer stylistically what one group or another does, for me, is almost irrelevant in the debate. I'm more interested in why, like, what about one specific record by one of these bands you like and what about it is more important to you and the people that can express that. That's, you know, what I'm more interested in. And that, those, like, if I were to take, say, a London Calling and uh, never mind. Never mind, I've had such a complicated relationship with the entirety of ever being exposed to it. Because I heard it early on as like one of the earliest punk things I heard, of course, way after its release. And, you know, at first was not knocked off my feet by it because I was look you know, I was I was into more like extreme forms of music at that time. So it seemed tame sonically in comparison. I listen to it now though, and I'm like unbelievably floored. Like I think probably 
as an you know as an LP, it's it stands up sonically alongside like a Stooges record or something, which is a high praise for me. So mm-hmm. whereas I don't think that the Clash records do sonically stand up as much. No shade, having said that, I love the Clash, but um, yeah. So it's just I think it in my pecking order it constantly moves. Like never mind, will be you know some days it'll be one, and then some days it'll go down to ten, or like it just it depends. It really does. I don't know. I, it, so those ones are forced to be reckoned with. Any of those kind of key records from those bands at that time, those two being you know paramount largely. Well, the other argument is then like you know you could just say the dams better. Oh yeah, well see, there's another one because that's I fully agree. It's it's and it's funny specifically that you bring that up because I have just and it's a record I've always liked, but lately it's completely floored me. But Machine Gun Etiquette, I'm just I I can't get enough of it lately. Like it's just my as of late, it's been like the record of that era. I am going to all the time. And it's one that, you know, I, I always liked it, but I always used to, the first LP was the one I would always go to. Now that's the one that's really hitting me. So I don't, I think that, you know, they ch- things change like that with time, I feel, for me anyway. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, you know, and it also depends on when you heard the band and all these sorts of yep. things too. Oh, yeah. But I just, that's when I stopped asking this question was after this episode, I think. Um, Maybe. Was, I still think it's a good question to ask because especially when you have like a humorous, uh, you know, rapport with someone, I think it really works. But I know what you're saying. I, he, he did answer it pretty definitively. A lot of people, you know, didn't really break it down like he did, I will say. Well, and also, yeah. like, a lot of people, it, it's just such a partisan argument that yeah. it's just like, you know, very few people see both sides of it. And, you know, like, to put it so succinctly and to just kind of, I just felt like, yep, yeah, he shut me up on that one. <laughs> I think that's actually the perfect way to say it, though. You did say, like, it is very, largely it is very partisan, which is something I'm not interested in, in terms of having that, you know, although, again, like, we joke about it, and you love to have these kind of, of these sensational sort of debates or that angle to it. But, um, but yeah, like, my interest is more like the nuance of why, you know, someone explaining in detail why. You know, you can like, you know, it's easy for anybody to tear apart something like Sandinista, you know, as a record, it's just got full, it's full of dead spots. It's not great. If you were to line that up against most other groups, it's like that record's not good at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can't reckon with like the first two LPs though by Clash are pretty, pretty bulletproof even. And then there's things on them that should be brutally cringeworthy that aren't, you so, know what I mean? Like cover, yeah. covering police and thieves. Mm-hmm. Like how did that come off? Like that shouldn't come off, and yet it does. So yeah, like yeah. I think the, I think that you're right. The first two LPs, but I think that's the thing is the first two two LPs are like solid the whole way through. Whereas like, never mind the bollocks as far as like an LP, it's just like it's not solid so much as it's just like off the charts. You know, it's just like yeah, a I weird, agree. ferocious record, and like a weird yeah. record to think of in the time of it coming out. Like I think. I think the clash follow in a lot more of a, a rock and roll tradition, like especially like Dr. Feel good. And, and you know, like the one one ers kind of like leading into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. But you know, the, the sex pistols, you know, I, I definitely do not defend Sid vicious, <laughs> uh, who did not play on this record and was not a part of the band at that point. Um, <laughs> I I definitely do not condone what as certain members have said in 2018 and <laughs> prior, 
but as far as like a record, it's just like a whew. undeniable, 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 undeniable. Also, and the, again, rare, rare that a record's visual aesthetic is as good as it is sonically too. That's important to note with as far as like it being a hallmark of you know, quote unquote, whether, and I, I agree with Anthony on this, his opinion or Tony, uh, that, you know, I don't believe it is the first, but arguably it, it coins kind of what people are familiar with about what punk is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's undeniable to look at, you know, the way it presents itself and everything. And it's, it is perfection that way. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to mess with. It really is. Um, do you think the, one thing that kind of came up also listening to this podcast is there's like, like Richard Hell and the Voidoids mm-hmm. have some of the coolest guitar playing ever in the history of of punk on those records. I agree. I love well, uh, whatever it is, Blank Generation is that what the LP's called? I'm bad with titles. Uh, the but LP's that, called Blank Generation. Yeah, like the, the you know the one everyone should know or does know uh, isn't made. Like the thing about that record, I like I'm with you on it completely on on the idea of like the playing, but I think even just everything about it, I think the way it's produced, I think it's. It's an incredibly, you know, good classic record. I think it's, and it is uh, certainly rated <laughs> as it should yeah. be amongst people. But I do feel it's it's not, for me anyway, it's not one I hear people say is like their top two or three usually, which has always astounded me. Maybe that's different amongst some New York folks or whatever, I don't know. But um, But yeah, I love that record. I think it's great. I think there's a lot about it that's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. No, like I think, but it's a guitar playing to me that just stands out, you know. And he brings it up as I think it's yep. Ivan Julian. Um, I don't know band lineups, but yeah, it's yeah, no, but I'm with you on it. He gives him credit on the episode, so whatever. Yeah, I'm again now. He he kind of comes through. Yeah, point exactly though. I, like I don't know the name of that. <laughs> like he was up on it. Yeah, he totally. Yeah. But now going back and like listening to just specifically the guitar playing on that record, <laughs> like I never think of. You know, like you never think of that. Well, actually, now that I'm saying this out loud and I'm kind of thinking about these people in my head, but like <laughs> prior to this saying this out loud, I never thought of New York first wave punk as like a, a gunslinger guitar led scene, you know, like, mm-hmm. but like it kind of was like, there's just so many like amazing players or just like crazy players with distinct styles in all these bands, like even yep. the much maligned Johnny Ramone. Yeah, well, it's funny. I was thinking that as soon as you said that, I thought even where you were going on it, you know, from like a a prodigy sort of standpoint, meaning a prodigy person, not the band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, yeah, I do think like if you take something like Richard Hell or, of course, you know, Johnny Thunders or uh, Johnny Ramone fits in the opposite spectrum, but yeah, is, is defined, you know, in a different manner for, you know, playing the same instrument in a different way of course mm-hmm. but uh yeah no I, I do think it is and i even think if you take something like like television even or uh you know yeah any it, it there are defined players i do think that is accurate where i don't but you are correct in that i don't tend to focus on that as the primary you know what i mean i don't know why that is yeah, I guess it's because, like, you know, especially at that time, the idea of punk is just something anyone can do. And and it's, like, the antithesis of that would be, like, some shredder guitar player. But, like, there were, like, a lot of really cool, innovative shredder-type guitar players that just thankfully found other paths to pursue in music. I agree. 
I do agree. Yeah, it's 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 not something I focus on, but yeah, I'm with you on that. That's why that's why I'm here, Chris, because I fixate on this bullshit. <laughs> you it do consumes me. <laughs> you do. Uh, uh, what, sorry, I'm, I took two points in a row. Was there a point? No, no, it's a, all good. Um, I'm I guess we're just kind of going on the Anthony Bourdain episode now, so we might as well keep keep talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'm trying to think here. Um, of something that came up that he said in it. I'm trying to. I'm looking up the. Uh, excuse me, the synopsis at the minute trying to uh reference things um because there was a big point he had though that i wanted to touch on of course you guys talk about johnny thunders at length which we just mentioned which you know insanely important um love I, i'm not oh this will be the talking point uh i'm not with you guys on so alone over the dolls at all but it's a great record but i'm fully dolls i'm fully dolls as like uh as like uh, what's more historically important and what's like the more significant record. But as far as like a record when I'm like, just like listening to it by myself, I probably yeah. find I'm listening to so alone more than I would listen to personality crisis at this point. I get like, I get, yeah, I'm, I'm not with you guys on that one though. Still. I like that first stalls record is the one like, for me of all those, you know, like, Again, so alone is amazing record. But if I were to, for me, I, I you know the Dolls self title is the one. But you are correct that saying it the way you did, I I know what you're saying <laughs> because I, if I look at it, like if you look at the tracks, especially standalone, mm-hmm. it's like yeah, what you know, personality crisis or even like trash, you know, it's just like or Jet Boy even. Although again, these are all amazing songs. Zero shade being thrown. I love this record and this band, but. They shouldn't really speak to me <laughs> at all, <laughs> uh, and they largely don't. They speak to me sonically, and uh, and yeah. So I don't know. There's something about this record in the same way we talk about, you know, you know, never mind the bollocks or whatever that that has me. So I, I I'm not. I can't be with you on the so alone thing, but yeah, I love that you guys are in that camp. Yeah, like I think also Johnny Thunder's like. For someone who had a, a, a kind of short, tragic life, that, um, but like once again, a lot of people that have been touched by his music, but also personally that have come up on this show or that knew him, you know, yeah, you know, like Peter Perret, uh, this, uh, Anthony Bourdain, obviously, as well. But like, it's it's amazing how you know this guy kind of like got around and changed like a lot of music in a, in a short period of time. Well, and it's like. You know, I, I feel, you know, perhaps it's the um, the narrative of his, his tragic life, which which strikes everyone at first. But I think it shouldn't be, you know, uh, it should, it, you know, his his uh, his contribution to music is certainly more paramount than than, of course, the story of it and the romanticism surrounding aspects of that, mm-hmm. like the typical sort of rock and roll cautionary tale. But um, but yeah, if you take, you know, the, the things that he's done specifically, or, you know, these records, there's a reason why, you know, that the impact is so great apart from just happening to be in like one of the greatest bands of the era. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I've never, I've never actually, it's funny cause you guys discussed this in the episode, but I've never really, um, dissected a lot of the story of, of his life. I know it's tragic, but, um, 
even how he passed, but I've never I've never tried to fixate on that. I'm I'm kind of happy with just taking everything at sonic face value and knowing kind of the way it ended, so just kind of keeping it not not trying to ruin it, if you will, with that tragedy and then still enjoying it outside. Yeah, no, it's it's a uh, you know I think you like you don't have to go too far, and he, and once again, Anthony talks about this in the episode too, like. There's like a lot of tragedy around drugs and like there's a lot of romanticism placed around these drugs in that New York scene. And I think there there are more no one comes out of that okay. Yeah, I agree. It's it's something that just seems like it just I don't know, just uh, like friends that have messed with that stuff and and you know, it just seems like something where there's not a lot of happy endings and, you know, Johnny Thunders is probably, you know, like one of the prime examples of that in, in music, in punk music. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. There's, there's too many and we've discussed this on the show before. I can't remember when these topics have come up, but we've definitely touched on this, but yeah, it's the thing that's tragic for me is that these people, you know, if my, my thinking on it is, Apart from, of course, their lives being important, but uh, you know they contributed things sonically that I just think are outstanding, and it's tragic that it you know it, it ended short, and so therefore there will you know there would be nothing else, which is just seems like such a waste, unfortunately. And uh, again, no one knows what demons people have, but it's just you know it's tragic. I don't know what else you know how else to summarize it. That's what always bums me out about these kind of stories when I hear them. I'm just kind of looking now at the Johnny Thunders. Uh, so, uh, the the so alone record and the lineup on it. Yeah, dude, what a crazy lineup this record has. I'm looking now. What are you seeing? Well, like, there's a bunch of songs like "Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory," which is like him fronting the only ones. Mm-hmm. But it looks like there's a second band, and this is probably well known to most New York Dolls fans and Johnny Thunders fans. But bear with us here because I don't think it's known to Chris and I. But like. Look at the look at the band he had. Otherwise, it's like the the Greedies from that Greedy Seven Inch, like the Thin Lizzy Sex Pistols uh, collab. Yeah, I'm just seeing though. I'm just trying to see how it actually breaks it up on the record. But yeah, but it's huh. like Phil Lynott, uh Steve Jones, and Paul Cook playing on half the record, and on the other half, it's the only ones. Which just even saying that, because again, this is never. I'm with you on that. I've never looked into the uh, the lineup of this record. I've heard this record, but I've never, you know, again, that's that's been secondary to me, probably mm-hmm. foolishly, um, or not probably <laughs> foolishly. <laughs> um, but the uh, I just, you know, the record's great, and it makes sense as to why it's so good. But um, but just saying, like thinking, saying that aloud now, you saying that, it's like wow, like what an unbelievable <laughs> record just in that respect, you know what I mean? If you, if you talk to someone about, you know, person, whatever person you would want to put even in place of Johnny Thunders here and just say, yeah, it's a record with this person with this Mm -hmm. and this, Mm -hmm. they would be floored. Mm -hmm. So of course to add that other icon is definitely over the top. It also looks like there's one other lineup that shouldn't be left out that features, uh, two members of Eddie and the hot rods. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, like what a, it's a fantastic record. Like it, it, truly is one of the 
you know, I know you say it's not quite as good, but I'm, I'm maybe no, like, listen, it's again, we're just like, what it's, it's 9.8 as opposed to 10. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, it's not much. I just, for me that, that, uh, that dolls record is the one, but yeah, it's a great record. Yeah. God damn it. I think the cover, like really every time I'll tell you, anytime someone mentions Johnny Thunder's name, this is what comes to my mind though. The cover of this record. Mm-hmm. I will say that. I think the cover of it is like a perfect, you know, it embodies seemingly sort of his life, at least at that point. So that's what I think of. You know, maybe that's incorrect, but that's what I think of. It's crazy also on the John Joseph episode to like think of the fact that this guy also had like a group of thugs that surrounded him and would, <laughs> would like do his bidding at one point in New York. Well, you know, it, yeah. It, that is odd, but uh, it also, you know, the the timeline makes sense, so I yep, guess. Yep. It, to me, it's just such, like, even, in again, in the episode of which we're sort of dissecting a bit of, the, you know, to me, these are things of, like, such legend that I cannot imagine living them. So it it just seems like it's, it's fantasy, like it doesn't seem real <laughs> to me to hear these stories, and yet I know they are. And so when you talk to someone who's lived these things or hear them speak of it, it's just, you know, it's, well, one, it's endlessly entertaining for the most part, but it's also just like, yeah, I can't, I cannot even fathom it to really comprehend truly. And I listen to this kind of music and I, you know, glorify it in some weird way, like historically and things of that nature. And I still can't, it doesn't really sink in, you know, how, how some of these things were, how that city was at that time or whatever. It's it's wild to think about the that city, like specifically, obviously, you know, at that time period, but like how much stuff kind of is happening, you know, like in and around like this backdrop that he's going to shows. Like I should have asked him about if you went to any early rap shows. Yeah, it's funny. That didn't come up much, but you did no. mention a rap thing in relation to Keith uh, Richards, and he seemed to be pro-rap in the way he responded, meaning Anthony Bourdain did. Yeah, So absolutely. I have a feeling he, he may have. Yeah, like I would I would have imagined, because like he's someone who seems like he was going to like all the clubs and going to after hours, and you know, there was that intersection point, right? Like it's kind of yeah. famous, the Blondie, you know, connection that comes yeah. out of it and stuff. And, yeah. Been, yeah, like I'm guessing he saw Africa Babata. Like yeah. there's no question. Or or at least DJ somewhere at some art party or something at a minimum. Yeah. But yeah. But it's like it's, and it's wild to think that like here's this guy that would go and have all the influences he's had. Here's like, you know, Harley Flanagan. Here's you know, the Ramones hanging out at the same time and Blondie and like all this like Johnny Thunders. Like there's just so much stuff coming out of that city and then like, you know, Africa Bombada and like all like cool Herc and all that stuff that's also happening in, in other boroughs. And it's just like, what a crazy, amazing time for culture and, and like, like street culture. Well, what's nuts of that time. That's, you know, again, why I think it's so historically revered is that it seemed like you could have literally been doing anything. Like you could have just, you know, tried to participate in any of that and you would have come out, you know, like such a like culturally fulfilled human being, mm-hmm. let alone maybe, you know, in the history books for whatever reason. So, yeah, I'm hugely envious. And of course, looking at it from contemporary perspective, you know, 
you always look back, I, I feel at least more fondly on what happened before. And of course, New York is the, you know, the large elephant in the room for a lot of people when we sort of romanticize this kind of stuff. But like, yeah, it's, you know, again, I can't, I can't imagine that wealth of amazing things happening. And, you know, being able to do any of that, let alone, you know, ignoring some of it. I think I'd be more, I think I'd be more bummed if I actually lived in that area and somehow I missed some of that stuff mm -hmm. rather than have, never having had the chance really. You know what I mean? That's like our story of, of like, and again, this isn't even like New York as people talk about it, like on the Lower East Side or something. Like our era is what? Like we should have been going to Wu-Tang shows in Long Island, you know, probably. Yeah, or, or like in Queens catching like Mob Deep, you know, yeah. which is all amazing. But like that's, you know. Going to see Box that, Cutter. Going to yeah, see. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's, that's our, that's the closest we can come of our era. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, you know, even that stuff is amazing. And well, yeah, like, I was just thinking about that era. Like, think about the same time you've got, like, Wu-Tang kind of forming. You've got, like, Supreme and yep. all that skate stuff. You've got, which, Biggie, you know. Biggie, Nas. Yep. Which ties in the kids, which, yeah, Biggie and Nas. And then yep. you also have all this, like, wild-ass New York hardcore stuff happening at the same time, yep. too. Mm -hmm. That's also super rugged. And, oh, yeah. And, like, you know, and, like, hard <laughs> at that point. Yeah. And it's once again all happening in New York at the same time. Like it's like a, I know this is so cliche because it's fucking New York, but it's amazing to like to when you slow down and think about how much stuff kind of comes out of that city at any given time. Yeah, and I I think like I'm sure there are things happening everywhere at all times that you know I am not in tune to, and perhaps you know later will regret. But I I do feel like there there are certainly eras that are more vibrant. And I think the ones we're discussing are, of course, like, you know, the specifically like the late 70s, mid 70s to like, you know, whatever mid 80s was like huge. But, mm -hmm. you know, and even again, early 90s, whatever, mid early to mid 90s, like not nearly the degree for me, but also pretty amazing. So, you know, I, I just like, you know, the closest thing <laughs> since then to grass to is, you know, what, 2000s Brooklyn, I guess. You know, like, which pales in comparison, in my view. But, yeah, it's still important in a regard. Yeah, like, I think that scene is definitely something that people, like, you know, the Strokes are, you know, regardless of what people's personal takes are on that band, like, yeah. they are the one of the most significant bands to come out of that era in rock music. Like, sort of the last great era of, like, quote, in quotes, rock music. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, just like, you know, prior to the white stripes even happening, like they were the band and like, they can still play stadiums when they get back together Yeah, and headline giant festivals. So they're like, yeah. And like, even today, like before we got on the air, what was I doing? I was watching uh, a rapper from Brooklyn <laughs> Instagram videos. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Yeah. You do get caught up in it easily. I agree. I mean, not you. I mean, we, by you, I mean, we royal, we, yeah. Is it because uh, it's the media hub of the world, right? Like, is it, is I that, I don't know. Maybe I just think uh, there, you know, as, as, as you, and you travel a lot and I don't travel a lot, but I've been to that city a lot and uh, we've been there together as well. I think there's just something, you know, that's, you know, very, uh, not being to to clarify, not being from a cosmopolitan city at all myself, or living in a city for that matter that's large, I'm always kind of like you know um, overwhelmed by it in a good way. So for me, I always kind of romanticize it, and so that's why I always focus on those kind of things. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's I just think it'll always have that sort of uh, appeal. 
I wonder if there's like another podcast like this right now where they're discussing the <laughs> early 2000s and the broken social scenes happening at the same time that Drake was kind of happening and getting going. Yeah, but like, see, but see, you and I can dispel that right now. Like, while there is something to suggest that you're correct in saying that, it's, I don't agree that that it, it is happening perhaps, but I don't think it, that's the same at all. And not because I don't think one is more important than the other, you know, inherently. I believe it is myself, but, you know, you know, ultimately if someone likes whatever they like, that's fine. But, um, you know, the, the Drake phenomena didn't happen till way after Broken Social Scene were a thing, you know what I mean? So that's not even quite I would, in tune. I would say, like, the Drake thing didn't, like, really happen, happen. Yeah. But, like, his first tape came out, you know, like, and I remember being on the best of list that year, uh, just before Little Wayne did that thing where he, like, rapped his verse. Um, and it was, like, that was kind of around the height of that broken social scene, Death from Above, 1979, Lex on Fire. No, I still think this is, like, 2008 or nine. Okay, well, now That's I'm going guess. to do something I never thought we'd do on Not that, Footnotes. not to, just, just to submit publicly that I give a damn at all about Drake things, <laughs> just to say that, just so it's on record. But, yeah, go on. Well, you need to give it, it's it's like, a, you got to give a, a small damn. 2006. Uh, okay, so that's the first tape. Yeah. But even that's late. Like, what were you guys doing then? Hidden World was already, uh, definitely already out, no? Yeah, well, like, uh, you know, lump us into the great Toronto Renaissance that we're talking about now. No, but sure, I, I'll I'm take using it. you guys as like, uh, okay, well, what was happening? That's so. very early into into us too, right? Like, No, it's not. It's not early. Years in. It's six years in, yeah, granted. But I'm saying, like, it's early into, like, what we we're going to do. And, like, that's when we first showed up on a lot of people's radar. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I also, while we're on this topic, I like that we went here because I loved in the interview that Tony, when you or Anthony, I talked to him like he's a friend of mine. I don't know how he wanted to be referred to. I haven't heard uh, that either. I was always yeah, kind of at a loss for that when we talked. And yeah, so. in the interview when he was talking, you you mentioned how he, things get on his radar, and he he had a really flattering response about I wanted to see. I can't remember how he, it's a direct quote, but it was more or less like who was running the city or something to that degree, I paraphrase, but, and it was extremely flattering. And and I do agree with him in that era, even though of course we know publicly that people will get angry at that, but, uh, uh, of which I could care less. Also, I'd like that on record, but, um, yeah, like I I thought that was really well stated, even if it's a point of contention (laughs) among some people, (laughs) given the, what we're talking about at the moment. Yeah. Like I think it, it definitely, uh, he would have had a way better time if you had called up Drake. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is funny. You missed, uh, yeah. You, you caught one wave that ended up being a much tinier wave than the gigantic you know, yeah. tsunami that would happen. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, but that's kind of cool that, like, he would come to Toronto and be, like, you know, not broken social scene, not, you Well, know. yeah, that is, that's, that is huge. It really is like we. It's you take that idea for granted, but it's true. Like think about that. I never thought about it in that context, but saying it that way, yeah. It was even wilder the first time because that was the second time we did something with them. The first time we just played uh, Jingle Bells on on No Reservations on their holiday episode. Wow! And we didn't get to meet him that time because he was away filming. But like the fact that they just reached out to us, it was like the guy that wrote that book. 
like wants us to plan a show. <laughs> yeah. Like that show that's on like the travel network. Like, yeah. wow. Okay. Like, you know, then at that point, I, I guess I hadn't read the book. I must've read the book just after that, but I remember my dad read the book and stuff. So I didn't really know that he was connected to punk, but yeah, it was, it, <clears throat> it's very, uh, you know, like the fact that he kind of like, you know, would pick the bands or the artists he would pick and just, you know, like Das Racist, like you just pick them. Yeah. And I think it goes to speak to his, you know, sensibilities. And I do think there's something to be said for people that have like, you know, whatever, well, not only good taste, but just like a, uh, a really defined sense of what they like and what they want to champion. Mm-hmm. Like that's another thing back to, you know, that's why it was well, well, uh, well liked, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Man, I'm looking at this Drake discography. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so, uh, I bet if you don't have the CDR, I wonder what the CDR goes for. <laughs> Who knows? It's never been sold on Discord. Uh, well. It got bootlegged, though, in 2016 in Australia. as a double LP. Oh. <laughs> uh. What a world we live in presently. What yeah. a world. Yeah. What a world. What a world. Okay. Um, is there anything else in the episode you kind of want to get into? Um, hmm. Well, we went over the debate. Uh, nothing that I want to delve into like majorly, but I love that he loved music documentaries, and the two he shouted out are actually really excellent ones. He shouted out the Ginger Baker documentary, which is outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, though. I'll look that up. But um and Dig, of course, which most people I assume probably have seen at this point, which is about the Danny Warhols and more importantly Brian Jonestown. Massacre, great documentary, and uh, yeah, documentary. fully concur on both those. I'm yeah. trying to like the Ginger Baker one is called like it's so good. That is a really good one. Um hmm. Where am I finding here? I don't know, I can't find it. Give me a sec. And apparently this is pretty widely accessible. It's called Beware of Mr. Baker. It was released in 2012. It's outstanding. And it talks, uh, well, pretty much about everything, but it talks about his time with Fella and all that business as well. It's amazing, and it's highly recommended. I don't know if you've seen it, Dame. I hope so. It's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I did see it, um, but like it's one of those ones that I, th- I think I should probably watch again because I think I don't remember it standing out that much for me, but I probably just cause I didn't watch it the right time. I also like think filth, filth and the fury is one of those ones. Like, Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a great speaking of what we were talking about. Yeah. Um, speak about the time period we're talking about in New York too. uh, style wars. Yeah. Is, is phenomenal. Like that's a wild um, style. Yeah. Wild style is, you know, like kind of cool for the stuff in it. <laughs> Not as good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Take, yeah, you have to contextualize when you're watching this. Yeah. yeah, the Style Wars though I think still holds up. Like I think that's just like such a cool documentary and a and a portrait of that period in New York. Which you know, like to be careful because he he talks about in the in the episode like it, there is an over romanticization of you know what was ultimately a pretty tragic time in that city. Yeah, um, I agree. But that I think is what fuels. Uh, art is people, you know, finding a way to try and deal with that stuff, you know? And I think that if you look at like a lot of the, you know, 
hardcore that was coming at that time and like you know a lot of the punk stuff it's you know it's more of the hardcore stuff but it's kids for that were like legitimately dealing with pretty horrific situations and i think they a lot of what their music they were making was kind of fueled by trying to deal with that stuff i agree i think there's a correlation for a reason absolutely and it's not like we're talking about new york specifically right now but it's you know of course it's geographically all over mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh okay all right i think we should uh maybe leave this here and, and we can now yeah, begin uh, sure. a somewhat condensed version of a normal show because there were some technical problems today where the phenomenal matt jackson uh conversation took forever to load like days and then finally just randomly went up uh literally before we got on the air um, <laughs> i got a <laughs> yeah. text from matt being like hey man thanks again for having me on the podcast i'm like what do you mean and he's like oh it's up <laughs> i'm like nice. i what okay but so it's, it's up now um check out this episode it is an incredible episode chris you have not had a chance to listen to this yet so we will tie up any matt jackson loose ends next week but i know you and me could go for days talking about the bands this guy has played in. Yeah, I have a, I have a knowledge not of him specifically directly as a, like I don't know him. I never interacted with him that I'm aware of. But yeah, his band certainly I'm aware of and I, had seen. I could see you guys getting along super fucking well back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I never I never uh, I never interacted with anybody from those groups. I don't know why, but I saw them a number of times. Yeah, and uh, Iron Age specifically, I must. I've seen at least four or five times, I think. Bitter End, though... They didn't come up here as much, I don't like know, ever. I don't know, I think they... Once, I think, you're right. I think I think I have, but it's there's f- hazy memories of that. I, But I feel like they did play the first uh, Adrift Space, I think. And I believe that I played that show. If not, I was definitely there. But I, yeah. I, I, I know bit. Iron Age played. There was that Iron Age Cold World... Who else played that? With Desperate Measures? No. Was it? Maybe. I don't know if I was at that, but I've seen all those groups. But yeah. Um, I remember because yeah, that's where you could get the Cold World Walk All Night 7-inch uh, with like one of the million random sleeves that they had to make before the real sleeve came out. <laughs> uh, While we're on it, uh, what Cold World of 7-inch do you prefer? Are you Ice Grills or are you that one? Uh, Ice Grills. I think Ice Grills yeah. to me, given also where music kind of is in the present yeah. day yeah that is that is the band of the era well that record in specific I that record's you. fucking incredible yeah. like when that record came out and i remember i remember driving in in bob shed uh legend bob shed's car who's got a, yeah. a podcast himself now that's incredible and worth listening to but we're driving in his car and he puts on uh ice girls and he goes He's like, a lot of people are clowning on this record, but it's pretty fucking sick. And he put it on and every, <laughs> every fiber in my body told me I shouldn't like it, but <laughs> I loved it so intensely that it just like overrode yeah. my DNA. Yeah. I remember it being probably my favorite vibe of your era, like of the, of the Damien in, I don't know what year, five oh five oh six. Like you just being like they're, they're being your favorite band yep. was was the funniest thing. Like being on the road briefly with you guys and just your obsession and the annoyance of your other band members to the degree of which you wouldn't stop talking about the band. Yeah, but yeah. I, I really liked if I could find something to to 
drive a little ice pick into people and fucked up's lives, I would <laughs> I would use it. Um, but also, Chris, the day I heard ice curls, something else magical happened that day. What's that? You and me hung out in California, buddy. That you heard it that day? Oh, that, that would make first. sense. Yeah, that's right. Bob was uh, lived there. That's right. Yep. Um, okay. Yeah, that's funny. I never thought about that timeline of that, but yeah. So that's the day you and me really, truly first met. Yeah, the glorious uh, hanging out in a whatever in a, what Huntington Beach, I think, or Orange County, whatever, somewhere on a random suburban street, loading a van. But yeah, we did talk. It was an amazing day for me. You know, was, I met no, right? I met my lifelong friend and co-host Chris O'Toole. <laughs> yep, true. I got to hear one of the greatest hardcore seven inches to come out of the era. <laughs> yep, and. Uh, also, uh, I met a guy that was in Three Ninjas. <laughs> True. I have uh, to share on this on the back of this anecdote really quickly. This house that at the time uh, Bob lived at, as Damien describes. I don't think he lived at it. No, he didn't even live there. Cause he well, he did. His... I think he lived eventually there at one point. I don't know if he lived there that. Anyway. Yeah. He had an associate. Anyway, the people he knew, they knew each other. And anyway, so that's where I first met him. And uh this was a place where we would crash on tour when we would get out west. And uh, consistently, it would be my uh, – I would I would make it akin to like my – quote, like a deprivation zone <laughs> because we would often be on tour with things sonically that I just could not stand and I would be on – and so I go to this home – uh, of course, the people who lived there were, you know, were interested in punk and hardcore proper. Not to say the band I was touring with had no issue with, but you know, there was a lot of stuff that was fairly unbearable that that sort of, you know, was on the bills that I I had to <laughs> watch. And uh, so I would come there, and I was I vividly remember always trying to like raid their record collections and just get them to throw on some proper hardcore punk because I was in jonesing so hard uh, because. Because at that point, reaching the West Coast, we'd usually been on the road for at least a week or two, and I just had enough of. I don't. I guess at the time, this is pre-iPod for people that want a uh, whatever want. You know, they don't understand why I wouldn't have access to music or whatever. But um, anyway, yeah. So similar to you, hearing that the first time, I would constantly, you know, get to that house, and the first thing I do is like, please put on, you know, X, Y, or Z, because I'm I'm going insane. So yeah. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, you know, like that was, I got, I heard a lot of uh, bands that day too. I don't remember some of the other stuff. It was, a, it was a, a pivotal trip for me back to California back then. But we are not talking about Ice Age. No, yeah. Ice Age. <laughs> <laughs> ice Curls and Cold World. No, we're really not talking we're about We're definitely ice not talking about Ice Age. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. like a, a different period of hype band and hardcore uh, completely. Uh, we're talking about. Yeah. What legitimately is, I think, for most people, the best band to come out of hardcore of that era, or a lot of people, um, depending on the day you ask me, myself included, uh, Iron Age and Bitter End and Coptic Times. But uh, yeah, like you talk about a band that, you know, kind of all through its eras, like they haven't really had a, a, a bad period, but Iron Age is just like one of those bands that like, at every step, I'm like, yo, this band's fucking incredible. And then they take it to another place. And I'm blown away by even more. Yeah, the I remember, I guess it's been a while now. The last time I saw them, I feel, was 
It must have been. I don't know if it was Not in dead yet, two years must, ago or something. Yeah, maybe it wasn't. It didn't seem that long ago, but it must have been. I think it was maybe three or four. But yeah, they were they were a little bit different live. I just realizing I have seen them a lot. I even saw them in Brooklyn once. They uh, they played with the first Mad Men show ever in Brooklyn. They headlined or whatever. Oh whoa! And uh, it was like some after show thing and. Anyway, yeah. So I yeah I've seen them quite a bit actually. Now I think about it, but constant struggle is a must. I think that is a uh, a defiant the LP constant struggle by Iron Age uh, is is a must. It's one that you should have one hundred percent. I also like the like whatever they weren't. I guess singles of the era. Those seven inches are quite good. Butcher's Bill, Burden of Empire, Way is Narrow are all very good. So yeah, Sleeping Eye is a heavy fucking I, record. I've never really uh, sat down and gave it a proper listen, but uh, you know I've no. I, this band's great. I know I would like it, but uh, but the, everything up to that point, I've I've been behind, so I can't see why I wouldn't be into it. Yeah, like it, it's uh, uh, they're like one of those bands that uh, I I remember like hearing that constant struggle LP for the first time and just being like, oh yeah, this is on another another level and then you know sleeping eye too like they got more metallic and brought that in there but like they did it in such a cool tasteful way and now of course tarpy sings for eternal champion which is pretty much a straight-up power metal band but <laughs> once again like you know that iron age shows through and also he's a legit blacksmith which makes it have an authenticity that don't <laughs> see me places yeah it underlines the term metal yeah, I like there were so many stories that can't be told on the air about this band, and I like that's not to imply that they're sketchy at all because I don't mean like in that way, but I mean like wild ass fucking stories that uh can't be told. But like, if there was ever a band that I would love to read a biography about, it would be this band, <laughs> you know, like no disrespect because like this would be the third band for me of the era. Um, or maybe there's four bands of the era that that I kind of like look at as being my four favorites. But it'd be like Iron Age, uh, Cold World. Uh, we got to throw in um, Mind Eraser there, and Sex Fit, right? Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I I really I enjoy all those bands. I don't know if they'd be my top four, but they okay. would be your top four of that particular era. I think they. I think at points all of them were the top groups for a time of okay. yeah. specific years, but they wouldn't be my top ones. I don't think of the era, but no. yes, I, I feel what all, you're saying. They were all kind of around at the exact same time, though. Yeah, mm. for sure. I mean, individually. Sorry, I, I, when you're saying each, I'm trying to put like you know, as, using a sport analogy, like yes, each of them won the won the league, you know, on whatever year. Yeah, it would have been. I, I believe that to be true, but uh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, like, but I, overall, I don't. You know, for me, I'm not sure if some of those would define what I thought were the the best of the era. Although all excellent groups. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Just to be fair, go on. Do you? We my big four. Like, if there was a big four tour, like Metallica, Slayer, and like what was the? <laughs> I'd like to yep. see that tour, and but I think if you're going to write, you know, biographies about those bands, like. You know, there might be some slower parts in some of those bands' biographies. You know, which is not to say the fucked up biography wouldn't be a fucking snooze fest. Believe me. <laughs> but Iron Age, that would be a fucking biography that I assure you would would not let up. I don't know any of these people personally, really, but I, I'm going to push back on that. I think there would be a <laughs> What were the bands again? You named them. It was Iron Age, Sexvid, Cold World, and what was the other one? Uh, Mind Racer. 
mind eraser. I still think there's a lot going on with most of those bands. There's a lot going fit. on. Believe me, like musically, these bands are all beyond belief. But I'm like, you know, like the 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 book about mind eraser. There'd be a lot of sitting around talking about records. You know? Yeah, maybe, maybe same, I'll give you that one. I think same the with the Sex Fit would... book. There'd be like it would be a wild ass book. Believe me, there'd be some wild yeah. chapters in that Sex Fit book. <laughs> uh, but there'd be a lot of record talk too. Oh yeah, of course. That's the on. defining. Yeah. Um, in in Iron Age, there'd be a lot of drug chapters. There'd be a lot of <laughs> other crazy chapters in there. Like I just think it would be the more hellacious kind of r- thrill ride. I can't uh I can't argue with you there. I don't know, but I yeah. I I do feel that you're you're I all I'm saying is that you've you've selected a group of bands that are not uh uninteresting <laughs> as individuals collectively. So they would probably all be really interesting reads for various reasons, but yeah. Okay, so let someone's got to write these books now so we can read them. <laughs> so someone to do like, you know, like those books they used to do about gunfighters from the old west and stuff like those like dime store novels uh where these people (laughs) would sometimes still be alive and they'd still be writing them up and these things yeah Uh, someone should do that like like just biography zines i think it should be there was a book that was like road stories i can't remember the hell the book was called i remember reading it weirdly enough sections of it on the road ages ago but there should just be an updated one with new, you know, you know, X number of good like newer bands every now and again, and I feel like that selection would be another, you know, would contribute nicely um, to that. But more importantly, I think you trying to whatever resurrect the tour of what like that Monsters of Metal, but this yeah. version, yeah. I think you should try and do that. I think that's your that that's your uh, destiny from now on, since you've put it forth in the universe. <laughs> Coming soon to a collective all ages venue near you. <laughs> The Monsters of Blog Hardcore Tour. <laughs> um, no, but I like, would go with all those bands are great. Yeah. Those bands are fucking amazing. Like th- that yeah. to me, like I each one of those bands, and I know what you're saying. Like those bands, each at a different time, were at their peak. Yeah. But each one of those bands, to me, put out kind of consistently, yeah, awesome, solid records. You know, or like yeah. at least interesting records. But yeah, they all, like I said, I use a sport analogy, they all won the league. You know, Ice Age can't, or Ice Age, why do I keep saying that? My word. Uh, we want to jump ahead in our future time and talk about other bands that won the league. <laughs> True, yeah. But I, it's because I was using Ice as cold for some reason. But Cold World, you know, they won. They won on Ice Girls. They won the league. And then, uh, I'm trying to think who would have won. I don't, bad with chronology, but you know, Constant Struggle, yep, they won that one, that won the league. And then... Sexfit, I would say Nests won the league, and then what was the other one? Mind Eraser. I for that one, oof, they got all. There's some really big records in there. Yeah, for me, I would it was also fun. say the way is narrow is kind of when also uh, Iron Age kind of won the league. Like that was when they had like the shift and they got like real heavy and more metal, and it kind of ushered in the next. I see what you're saying, but I would have to weigh it up as to what else was happening that year. I can't remember what else came out. 2009 yeah. was a big year for yeah, 2009. There was a lot going on. That I just mean like records that for me were like this is a good record. Sleeping Eyes is a great record, like uh, as I know it, which is only like in a, a like a sort of a one pass years and years ago. But uh, but what I would say is in '09, I thought the records that were like you know really kind of like hung around in the air. 
I, that wasn't one for me that was as much as some others. But again, you know, this these things shift. Um, and just I don't know what, what came out in those years. I'm bad with that. But yeah, that's my uh, those are my analogies on that. I'm, I'm like now going through the uh, Iron Age discography and looking and like, yeah, I don't see any clunkers in this one. No, no, they're, they're great. Like the whole run is good. The uh, I didn't realize too, because again, I'm bad with members and whatever, but I never put together, I knew there was some connection to Far From Breaking, but I didn't know it was the singer. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You were at that show in Toronto, right? Far From Breaking? No. Well, oh, because they played... Uh, Maybe, played, unless and they Kensington. were... And Tarpy no. punched someone out of that show? No, I wasn't at that one then. I thought maybe there was like I, I they were on some bill I didn't remember them on, but no, not the, I don't I don't ever remember seeing them, but perhaps. And you know what we're gonna have to do now, Chris, because we're talking about Far From Breaking. <laughs> What's that? We're gonna have to do a deep dive onto the label that put out their seven inch. Oh, third party. <laughs> third party records. Yeah. Nick Barron's record label. Yeah. Um a incredible record label when you go through all the stuff they put out uh it, because like they 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 hit on some bands like that I love but also some bands that like were kind of like key bands like the fast break 7 inch mhm good uh, record far from breaking went on to do some cool stuff i love that mm-hmm. until today 7 inch when it came out um i think i still have that i just want to see the cover i de- i'm pretty sure i still have that covers kind of shit no, it's like I remember being terrible. Yeah. Oh no, not is that the split or their own record? Their own record. Uh oh no, that's the the first one, the ninety seven one, or the the I one from ninety nine. Ninety seven. Okay, I have the one from ninety nine still, which ninety eight. Ter- ninety eight from ninety eight. Sorry. Either way, the one from ninety nine has a terrible cover. I still have it, but yeah, in the like, cool band. Um. Yeah, it's unclear. I gotta try and get that now. All these records that were kind of hard to get back then are like really available. Oh yeah, you'll find them now. Uh, also, they put out Coke Bust and you know Blank Stare. So they, you know, Nick's always kind of had like a. I wonder what their last record was. Pierce. 2012. So it's been a minute, you know. Yeah, unless someone just hasn't been upping things they may have done. But I, I could have swore that Coke Bust record wasn't later than that. No, oh nine. Wow. Yeah, or but, sorry, that's the wrong record. But either way, yeah, not later than that is the point. The point is that some years in wow, that Cokebus record is from two thousand seven. That's almost ten years. Holy, I feel uh, time flies. I feel like that I lost you know a decade to like alien invasion or something that uh, I've been captured and I don't know why. I can't remember how much time has passed. But yeah, I think it's the internet that does that to us. I don't know, man. Yeah. Because I felt the same way recently, and then and then I actually started thinking about it. I'm like, no, that year definitely did happen. Um, I remember some of these things, but I just it doesn't feel that long ago to me, and that's what's scarier. Yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, that's how you know you're getting old. Yeah, exactly. When when time starts appreciating. <laughs> yep. But yeah, so what is uh, what did you want to touch on specifically with uh, this discography here, Dave? Uh well I think uh well no there was not a a bad record in there though another period uh you got to also man I'm stoked for you to hear this episode there is a wild ass tour story in this episode that comes up that's that's pretty nuts uh, nice other thing I wanted to bring up with you that came up on this episode is this idea because he talks about it too where 
all his friends were in an earth crisis and he got in a judge, <laughs> you know, which is why I kind of think you and him would get along. Cause I, I I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the same guy, you know, no, no, just on earth crisis, obviously. Like, no, I, I, yeah, I, I like well. both, but I really liked earth crisis too. So I don't, maybe I'd be in the middle on this one with you too. I don't know. You, I always, you always struck me and maybe this is because you had a shirt with an anti double bass drum pedal on it for your band <laughs> uh that didn't I was like, like what are you it. talking about but yeah go on you did have that shirt yeah oh yeah 100 percent. yeah 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 so then so yeah. but like you know you always struck me as a guy that wouldn't be uh, as much into the metallic stuff and more about the faster hardcore no but see see this is you bring up an excellent point and for like the half a person that will care about what you just brought up <laughs> i want that uh, shirt by the way chris yeah there i don't know how many exist they're not they're not around i'll tell you that much um but the uh uh, that shirt so you you know i've spoken to you a lot about like metal and like a lot of people of of sort of my age our age i got into things through metal so i have no ill will toward metal at all bizarrely though in the the thing you're talking about is making a shirt that has a, a double bass pedal with a like a crossed out like a no um, as an image. And the reason that happened was because this is way past, you know, although this band still existed, I believed and arguably still exists, I think, but this is way past like earth crisis years. And it was just that I felt there was like too much of that kind of nonsensical, you know, metal influence things that were sort of like, and I don't mean it in the sense of what we're discussing here, not like bands that, that are metal influenced, like crossover bands that are good, I meant like, you know, in the sort of dumbed down paint by the numbers, like chug sort of nonsense, which I just couldn't stand. So, yeah, that's why I made it. Not as a diss toward metal and not as, you know, anything like that. It was just more or less to, it was, it was a shot at like people relying on that as their, you know, their token move in their sound. And I thought it was a really redundant, you know, soft thing. I still don't like double bass uh drum playing as a rule as a general rule though i like the metal records i like the most i don't rely on that so yeah i do i still kind of back that but i'm not opposed to metal at all no so what I is did the really best like the double bass drum band Ugh, good lord uh i don't know i'm sure there's death metal i like that uses the hell out of it i just can't remember offhand i would hate um yeah they might and again, that's see, there's a there's a great example. Like I I've never had a beef with hate breed, never had a beef with Earth. Like Earth Crisis, the later stuff I don't enjoy as much, of course. But you know, that defining Earth Crisis era, I I still talk about how I like it. But you're right, you know, vastly superior in my opinion. Even though you know, Earth Crisis were definitely big on my trajectory as well at a time. But um. But yeah, so I'm not, I would be more in the middle. If I had to be honest about it, I would be more in the middle. I think Judge might be like, you know, like objectively the best New York hardcore band. <laughs> I don't know if we discussed this specific <laughs> part. Uh, I don't agree, <laughs> but uh, Judge are great. But uh, I mean, just like in the sense that like they're the band that like are the hardest of the fast youth crew bands. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that. I, I mean, I'm in the best youth crew band more than the best New York hardcore. <laughs> I'm just like, do you even listen? Like, did you even hear what you just said? Like, no, I did not hear what I just said out loud. As you can hear, I'm I'm into the dabs. Um, yeah. But uh, no, I meant I meant youth crew record. 
yeah, I've never I've never defined Judge as a youth group band though either. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's foolishly. I don't know. I I don't. Uh, ju- you know, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. You've thrown one at me, and I I feel it's like a very <laughs> it's a very <laughs> divisive uh, thought you have. I don't know how to feel about it right now. <laughs> Is Judge the most emo? Of the first wave youth group bands. (laughs) I believe we've discussed this before. Lyrical content would suggest that you are correct. Yeah. Uh, But it's hard to say that about (laughs) Judge because it's, as Judge was defined by things that, you know, initially, you know, brought upon their demise, which are not linked to what you're discussing Mm -hmm. atypically. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think also, like, as a fat straight edge kid, you identify so much with Mike Judge yep. that it might cloud my judgment on this topic. No, no, I agree. I, I was with you in that era for sure. I, I, I get what you're saying with that, totally. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Judge is great. I don't know. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't think about rating some of these bands like you do in terms of like what was better or more consistent or whatever. You got it, Chris. It's all about absolutes in this world. It is true. Top 10 lists and five-star matches. You are excellent at doing it, and you've always done it the entire time I've ever known you, and it's it's highly amusing to me. Uh, And there's been some great debates that have happened amongst you and people I know or even people I don't know that have been excellent (laughs) because you bring up these sorts of things. I would love to see you – I want to see you have one of these with Walter Schreifels. If you have them on again, honestly, all it should be is you should just make a list of these bizarre (laughs) – you know, like sensationalized opinions you have and just seriously try to debate with Walter about, I, you know, like this would be a good one with Walter. I don't think there'd be any debate. I, I could 100% being, see Walter being like, dude, I totally agree with you. <laughs> Ask the bong. Well, maybe we'll have to see. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to make it happen. I want, believe me, anytime like Walter coming on the podcast, like that was last time I had, he was on the podcast was one of the most fun times. Actually, the time before that, too, when, when we did the live one in New York. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, a fun guy to hang out with, believe me. He would be a, yeah, like, if I, if, if there was going to be a debating show, I don't know if I'd pick him. I'd have to pick someone more adversarial. Yeah, no, no. I just mean, though, I, I just, he was an example, because he's someone I could see entertaining the idea of these things, and who was intimately involved in terms of, like, being surrounded by it, or in some of these groups. But, um... But yeah, like certainly there's better, like I've seen you have, you know, things bordering on arguments with people about these things, but yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, that was before I started smoking weed. I think as I started smoking weed, I'm a lot more like relaxed about my intense opinions. No, no, I don't mean though, like, uh, yes, I agree. I don't mean though that you were trying to like. Do you remember when I got into the huge fight and made the guy from Bedouin Sound Clash leave that party? Because we, about the, the bad brains, PHR, yeah, I remember this. Whew. But that was the one I brought you to. No, that was the one you brought me to. That was when all your <laughs> friends were like, "Oh, thanks, because we're bringing this psycho to the yeah. party." Yeah, so that was uh, yes, that did happen. I vaguely have a recollection of that. <laughs> um, um, just for the record, Team Bad Brains, and also he was Team Bad Brains, but did not pick the right person to make the comedy made to. Yeah, and I, I think that was a fair. Your uh, um, your addressing that was fair. I'm in, I'm okay with that. I didn't think it was uncalled for. 
I just think so. it's an example of something that, you know, <laughs> prime pre-Damien smoking weed where most normal people like yourself would have heard that and just been like, eh, let it go. <laughs> Whereas I needed <laughs> to take someone to task on it. So. Yeah, but I, I do think it's funny. Uh, in hindsight, it's super, it's really funny because I, I had actually completely forgotten about this. Um, I love it more now <laughs> than, than even at the time. Um, but yeah, like it's something, it's, it's a good story. I don't, I, I know what you're saying, but I don't think you're, uh, no, I think you're, you're fine. You were in the right. You're okay. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> it's so crazy. Cause I've run into that dude now and everything's yeah. cool. Yeah, of course, because it was no big deal, but it's still the fact that like my first interaction with him was screaming at him about how the bad brains were the best band of all time. <laughs> it's hard to step back from that. But this is the era of which we were discussing where you, I don't remember what the hell year this was, it had to be at least uh, more than a decade ago, I would think. This but, is the period we're talking about, Chris, the heady yeah. days of 2006. Yeah, Drake was, was just starting. Yeah. Feist and Broken Social <laughs> Scene, and it looks on fire. We're, we're, we're the kings and, and you know, yes. Death Above 1979. A brash young singer of the band fucked up, showed at a party and was I screaming. Think, yes, and you also are missing out that like your band was beefing with anyone and everyone. So this was very in tune with your <laughs> with your lot at the at the minute. So uh We were yeah, kinda like know. the Takeshi Six Nine of Toronto music. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Arguably, it could be said that uh, you know it's being that you you were before <laughs> that maybe. Yeah, <laughs> so you're saying keeping in with my theory that Insane Clown Posse got the idea to wear makeup from seeing the human fitness <laughs> wear makeup. Sketchy Six and I got the idea to beef with everyone in the whole world because of fucked up's beef with everyone in Toronto music back then. No, I'm I'm not saying any of that. That's what I heard you say, Chris. So that's what I'm going be, with. It would be funny if there were a bizarre influence like that in that man. It would be nothing incredibly would funny. Anymore. Yeah, it would yeah. be very, very. It would be, whoosh, very weird. Um, but but yeah. So to, to for listeners who don't obviously don't know what we're talking about directly, um. You know, this was a Damien in, in the years of, you know, the, the not maybe not the roughest years of the Toronto. Uh, I don't know what you'd say even, like punk hardcore scene being ornery certainly, but definitely some ornery years nonetheless. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was like you know it's funny because Matt talks about this in this episode, but like it was just being, you know, young with way too much time on my hands. And all of a sudden, like, I had the ability to, like, have all these bands, which I was, like, you know, just in my head having issues with. And I would say something and they'd hear it. And it was just, like, this, like, cre- incredible moment of, like, yeah, that's what I said. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, I'm really going to say with the perspective of some time and distance, not a single one of those beasts was worth having. <laughs> Oh, well, it was very amusing for me from the outside, but I don't know personally. I do think it led to some of my greatest lyrical moments in some of those things, but (laughs) at the same time, like, you know, not, not worth it. (laughs) What I am more impressed with, given these stories that I forget about, 
is that you managed to come out a very likable person amongst uh, almost every one of the people that, that you're discussing. <laughs> well, because I must have just come off like completely out of my mind back then. So they're like, you know what? This guy is just nuts. <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's ordinary people that we know that, you know, are not liked. <laughs> and you managed to skirt that that sort of uh, opinion. I'm sure not from everybody, but, you know, for the most part. And well, like, you know, impressive. I think I think it was the thing was like, you know, generally it was just beefing with bands and always trying to punch up. Yeah. That's Maybe true. not Terminal State, but they beefed us on wax first. <laughs> that was probably my favorite one because that was the most just like ridiculous. Why are these like both these bands are cool? What is going yeah. on? Like no one from like <laughs> outside of, uh, I don't know, whatever. We had members that were dating. I know, but 15 kilometers, if that within like the Toronto city limits, like maybe people understood it and no one <laughs> understood no. it outside. No one understood it. It was speaking heavily... of, speaking of, if you want to take this full circle back to Bob shed, back to the rev generations comp revelation records, generations yes. comp, where yes. you submitted a song that was the response to that, uh, on that comp, which still exists for listeners who are not aware. And it's and, a terminal uh, state cover. Yes. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go, tying it all together. Um, but they were—they're an amazing band, actually. Like, really, like they're going great. back and listening to it, I'm like, this band's pretty sick. No, they were—they were good, even live in that era. Totally. Oh yeah, like, and also like a band that you know, once again, a biography of that band would be a very interesting read. Yeah, and it's like some folks are—I don't know all of them, but like Ivan right now plays drums and shit, so they're still—you know—people are still at it. Yeah, and so, I'm, yeah. Ivan, like, who would have guessed that that guy? would have had the run of bands he's had because, yeah. you he's know, hitters, he's been in some fucking incredible bands. Yeah, I agree. Lovely human being too, but yeah. Yeah. Who would have guessed that that little punk? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I love that guy. He played in Fucked Up. Did he for like a tour? I think no, just for a couple shows. Oh, okay. Cool. Show? I'm trying to remember now. I don't believe I saw it, but maybe, yeah. Was it I'm just trying to think like, why, why, why couldn't Jonah do it is the question. That's There was a bunch of shows. Jonah, like the time we opened for the Stooges, Jonah didn't play. Was he at, I was at a wedding that day. Was he at, he must have been at the wedding. No, I don't think he was at the wedding. I think he was away with Mike because Mike wasn't there either. Oh, wow. That's bizarre. Yeah, it was like a, a, <laughs> a really kind of different lineup. Uh, John Drew on drums that day hmm. and stuff, but... uh. I think it might have been the time we opened for Bane and Comeback Kid. I don't know. Yeah, you the Transact? Me. You must have been at that show. No, I was not. Well, not that I I saw you guys at the Transact, but never there. I don't recall those bands playing, but I no, I don't know. Okay, I remember about, there was we, a, I missed a few shows, but I was away in those years too a lot. Yeah, well, uh, that one you didn't miss a particularly great performance from us at. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Either way, what do we want to talk about about Iron Age and the related bands? <laughs> uh, I think like one of the things that keeps coming up on the show is this idea that it's it's Texas and like that's the reason like everything's so gnarly, and it's true. Like, uh, have you ever been to Texas? To, to te oh yeah, totally. A it's number a, of times. People are fucking wild there. Um, I'm not gonna debate you. I don't. I haven't noticed more wildness than some other places, but sure. I were, don't, you, uh, were you there for chaos and chaos? Yeah. I, I've played that once. Yeah. You didn't it think was, that was wild? 
I guess while, but it's in Austin. You know what I mean? So it has, you know, and everyone travels. So I don't know if that's Texans being wild or if it's just Austin during a music festival. You know, I don't, I never thought about it. But uh, I love that you're like, like, if you've been to chaos, like we played chaos the same year together. I definitely saw you at chaos and chaos. Oh, yeah. I always forget that we played that (laughs) other time at chaos and chaos. Yes. Uh, to be fair, this was like the er, like the very early stages of you in your current state of uh, obsession with cannabis. So I believe you were fairly <laughs> fairly gone most times I ran into. You. But yes, um, yes, we we did encounter one another. Uh, I, do, I do remember that now, but it's funny because I don't remember like that being a chaos and chaos because I thought we played like a we played like an after show or like an outside show or something really weird. I watched you play some outside show where, like, I think the slow motions also played and uh, maybe uh, Rival Mob, maybe, uh, or maybe Dillinger. Ford. I don't know. There was yeah. a weird, weird bills. I can't, I can't remember if I'm mixing shows up here, but, um, but yeah, I definitely. That's what I mean. Those. Like Texas is always like I go down there and it's like I don't remember what happened. Even when I was straight edge, <laughs> like I'd take an aspirin and I'd wake up with no clothes on. Like, <laughs> well, it was always like something wild there. It was always like a really crazy time. And like another thing about all these Texas bands is they have, and this came up on the Riley episode, uh, but they always seem to have like, just like a person who rides with them. That's just like there to make sure there's no issues. Like a, like a roadie but that serves also like a dual security purpose. Like a, a roadie cooler, if you will. Yeah. 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 That's like a member of the band though. Like, it's not like, Oh, this is our crew guy. It's like this person is as equal a member of this band. Well, again, I don't know a lot of these people personally, so I don't know what specifically you're speaking to. But sure, I can. Uh, I'll I'll take what you're saying. You watch live footage <laughs> of these bands, you'll see like there's always like like the dude on stage or like around who's like you know the homie. Who just make sure? I, I know, I know who you speak in one instance. In one instance, but them. there's yeah. like a couple in like you know. There's definitely other bands that have these dudes. Sure, and I, but I don't know. I don't think that's it's seemingly unique in this respect. But I think that's always been a uh, part of the tradition of some bands speaking to New York as well. Yeah, so I don't know. You know, like I think just think it's kind of like a a thing amongst you know punk hardcore. Yeah, like it's. I guess when we, you know, we had like, we've had road dogs, but it seems like we've never called on the road <laughs> dog to fulfill. It's funny given the amount rules. of beef you guys had at certain points that that never did happen. That is funny. I agree with you there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Oh, we made sure not to, like, <laughs> we're not picking beefs with, you know, luckily we like the, uh, bands that, that were really scary. Either way, but yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you want me to speak on this. Sure, I don't. Texas more crazy. I don't know. I Austin is certainly a wild city. I don't know a lot about the surrounding cities as much. It's you know, it's it's a very different than where we live. I feel that's true. Um, neither good nor bad, really. But uh, in terms of like better or worse than where we live. But I do like Austin, as I like, you know, cities full of weirdos that have great music all the time and great food, so, and produce great bands for the most part. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, one of my favorite cities to go to. I like I like Houston as well, and in Dallas. Next week, uh, Fat Tony's on. I thought it'd be cool to pair these episodes together because mm-hmm. it's two guys 
that discovered music, like punk music, I'm talking about in complete isolation, but for completely different reasons. And both are in Texas. So it's kind of like a, a neat kind of bookend to have the two interviews back to back. But like Fat Tony talks about Houston. I've always had, so I've seen some crazy ass shit happen at shows in Houston. Uh, I always get them confused because like, I've been like, I've, I've only been to them sort of touring and I always forget which things happen in which cities, but yeah, they're, I mean, y- you do have a point in terms of it. Yeah. It's certainly much wilder than where, where I live and where I think where we live, but I don't know. I don't, uh, I've never thought of it as like a seriously crazy place or, or, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't mean like crazy. I just mean like the partying is, is very intense. <laughs> <laughs> well, that one, that one, you're, I don't know. I don't have any. Well, I saw UGK one time in Austin. Uh, <laughs> nice. And uh, <laughs> during South by Southwest. Yeah. And th- dude, there was a guy backstage with like a fucking giant albino snake. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, uh, I can't one up you, especially on the snake aside to say that in Dallas, once I saw MOP and Feral Monch and it was incredible, but Whoa. it was not, it was not particularly, believe it or not, wild. <laughs> but, I love uh, Feral Monch though. And I never got to see him. Me too. I did. I did. I should go see him the next time he comes through. Yeah. He still tours, but, uh, yeah, but what about MOP? How is that not insanely wild? It wasn't terribly wild for whatever reason. But well, cause yeah. that's like, it's like, it's, it, you know, it's probably cause it's not the it's not the rap from the area yeah yeah true i guess that's fair because yep. i'll tell you one thing ugk was fucking crazy oh yeah that would be yeah especially there yep it was the best day it was like we played the j tree showcase in the middle of nowhere in austin mm-hmm. and it was uh really weird i met jello by afra afterwards hmm. um for the first time and then got into a fight with fucked up stormed off and tried to walk <laughs> back downtown <laughs> walked by the UGK show and they were like, Oh, you can't come in. It's sold out. It's pat. It was huge. It was a fucking giant parking lot. Walked by the backstage. And for some reason, the security guard is like, Hey kid, Hey kid, you trying to get in <laughs> kid. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, he's like, okay. And he just lets me in <laughs> to the backstage. I just love the idea that you being called kid, this was like maybe 10 years ago, like you did not look like a kid. I, looked, I didn't have a beard back then. I was yeah, like, but you still look like a kid. Young baby face Damien. <laughs> I don't know about that. He called me kid. He did call That's, me kid. No, it's great. I love this. I and then laughing. he let me in backstage and it was like, it was I like, remember this because you came, you had a UGK, I don't know, you probably still do maybe, you had a UGK shirt yeah. that I remember you would wear in a certain era of the fucked up gigs and i was i was very envious of it i, I gave that away to a friend of mine a yeah couple years it, was ago. A good, it was a good tea solid tea it's just like a hard t-shirt to put off, pull off like a ugk quit hate in the south yeah shirt if you're from toronto walking around in toronto <laughs> especially when it's like 5xl yeah no it was it was a good vibe though it was it was the same vibe. i'm glad because <laughs> second to uh and this will be a totally random one which you'll probably remember this uh, but this is for like really deep, weird head Toronto stuff. Not in like a <laughs> – anyway, you'll get it. But I m- remember uh, Jamie from uh, – when she was in Ruination, used to wear the Master P or the yeah. No Limit Stop Hating. Yeah. And uh, so since that nod, you had the best one with the UK, UGK shirt. They they One thing I will say about Tinkra Combo, they knew their rap. Yeah. No, that's true. I agree. Nick Flanagan as well. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, they were not to be, uh, they had some cool references also like that was the other thing, like now we're 
getting off topic, but like Ebro, whenever you see a photo of yep. Ebro from Charles Bronson and yep. all girls wearing like some sick hip hop shirt. Yep. That's the best vibe. If anyone hasn't learned that already, that's one of my favorite vibes yeah. amongst punk is people who like give those. It's a little more commonplace now, but like some of these things, even that UGK shirt, this was, wasn't like super early on, but it was really enough where I didn't see people wearing UGK shirts. So I was really impressed, but in that Master P1 or No Limit, whatever it was, that was huge too. But you're right. He always wore, he, he has a good, he has a sick T game as far as the, uh, whatchamacallit, the hip hop stuff is concerned. 100%. Now, so you're saying like I should start rocking a Takeshi yes. 6 9 shirt on stage? Yes, all that, whatever, any of it. Yeah. I don't all know right. what it would be now though, like, because that one, I don't know what the current one of that would be. Like, it would, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, I'd have to think on that for a minute. But it's just like I—I I don't know. I like those little things. This is just a random, and whatever observation. Well, no, this is like this is the kind of shit. Yeah, I like that too. Like when you're listening to the Cool Keith record and he says "spaz," you're like, yeah, yo, is yeah. he talking about the band Spaz? Yeah. And then you find out he was, and you're yeah. like, "Spaz is the coolest." What about speaking? Of which again, uh, random sidebar. Um, speaking of Cool Keith and punk related things. Uh, he just played some New York show. Uh, I can't remember who put it on, but he played with Escapism, which is uh, Ian from the Makeup and Nation of Ulysses and all that. He they, that was on, that was the bill, like two those like Cool Keith and that, like and then that's I'm like sure your fantasy bill. Well, it was just like it's just insane, and just another one of these like couplings where it's like, how does this even happen? Why? And this is too amazing to exist almost. But it yeah. So there you go. There's another little hallmark for those keeping track. I don't know if it's ever going to come up again, but uh, did, I, did I tell you about that cold time like where I interviewed Cool Keith? No. When? <laughs> like a couple years ago for Much Music when I had The Wedge. Wow. And, and okay. we went out to the Rock Pile East where he was playing, which is like this venue way in Scarborough. And we interviewed him. And it was awesome. It was like an amazing chance to talk to him. And he was like super cool and yeah, it was like really fun. And then afterwards, he's like, him and his manager corner me, and they're like, uh, <laughs> he was like talking about how he likes to go shopping before their shows. He's always like, I like to go shopping. And uh, and then afterwards, him and his manager corner me, they're like, yeah, where do we go to buy porn? Like, where do people buy porn in this city? <laughs> and nice. this is like, you know, it's it's not now, which would be even harder, but this is like, you know, still like, you know, 2010, something, 2009. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I I don't know. Like I guess young in college, like there's some porn stores, maybe. <laughs> like I I just love though that of all the people, like they're asking you that question. <laughs> I'm like I like what I don't think there's a lot of porn stores anymore. Uh, but there you find the best, and then, sure enough, they did drive there, and they were late for the show. Cause, Whoa! Yeah, for shop because he was shopping. <laughs> I think I remember there was one gig, but I thought it was way earlier than that, where he was super late again. Like, it was like, like, I remember the re- reading the review. I wasn't at the show. It was reading the review. And the review was just like this frustration. Like, the first, like, two, three paragraphs or whatever was just frustration about basically that he showed up super late or whatever. And it was like a huge piss off. And like, yeah, it's just not, not a good scene. But uh, I don't believe it was the gig you were talking about. I We but, played at a festival two weeks ago with Uzi Vert, little... Uh, little Uzi Vert, and yeah. uh, uh, he canceled like two hours into a set time. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> like, yeah, he's not gonna make it. It's like, 
two hours into the set time. Yeah, that would be, you know, that would be, you're, you're hitting on ones. Yeah, it would have to be some tea like that now. It would have to be like a, I don't know who it would be. But it's just like too expected, not too expected, but like it's yeah, just like. Yeah, but it, I'm just trying to think of the equivalent of what that UGK shirt or what, like, you know, that stuff was. To be fair, No Limit, when that shirt was being worn, was huge. It like was huge, but I, I think just because like it's so much easier to dip in and dip out of culture now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair. Just because, like, I don't know, I just find like. On 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 like a music streaming service, you're just like literally like surfing yeah. the globe when it comes to music. Yeah, true. Fair enough. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but either way, I just think that stuff's cool. I get what you're saying, buddy. Though. <laughs> yeah. Uh. All right. Um. Well. Uh. Should we go on anymore, or should we call it an episode? Whatever. Uh. Whatever you got. I'm good either way. I think we can call it an episode. I think this has been pretty good. We'll definitely pick up some more about Matt Jackson next week. We did get into a kind of an extended conversation off the top about Anthony Bourdain that we weren't really planning on. But, like, you know, I think that's the way things go. So, sorry, no mailbag this week, but that will be back next week. We'll get to it. And, uh, yeah. Uh, how do they get in touch with us here, Chris, for that mailbag? Yeah, you can reach us at footnotes at gmail.com. And you can find myself on various forms of social media uh, at Left for Damien. There's a Turned at a Punk Instagram at Turned at a Punk. Uh, so I'm trying to get Tristan to update that more because I think uh, you know there'll be some cool stuff posted on there eventually. And uh, uh, also, uh, you know, uh, cool, a lot of cool stuff coming up. A lot of cool Turned at a Punk stuff happening in the next few weeks. And next week with Fat Tony, one of my favorite episodes ever. Nice. Looking forward um, to it. Yeah, and that's it. Uh, Chris, you prefer not to be found on social media? <laughs> I don't have it. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't exist. And uh, and that's it. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.